Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share <laughs> what she's reading with you, thinking that you're going to love her latest selection. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, you just can't stand that book that they recommended. That's us. Mm-hmm. We both read a lot. Well, I don't even read. I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. I enjoy books that build up new worlds, invite magic and mystery into our lives. Science fiction and fantasy rule. We'll see. Oh, we will. We will see. I listen to a variety, but it's all grounded in reality. You can keep your elves and space operas. Neither of which are in this book, by the way. Correct. Correct. Uh, welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books, and each month we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would never have picked up on her own. I know you would never have picked up this book, but I know you're so secretly glad you did. I had time. It's been around for a while. (laughs) So even if a book isn't entirely your style, it may have some redeeming qualities to it. Right? We'll see. I guess we'll see. And we must, must, must do a spoiler alert for this one. Correct. Because, boy, howdy, although it has been 150 years since it was written, you just don't know. You don't. You don't know. Somebody could have not read it. So now is the time for us to tell you that we're going to discuss the whole book. This month is The Journey to the Center of the Earth by Jules Verne, uh, including any endings or magical twists. So if you haven't read it yet and don't want us to spoil anything for you, please stop listening now and join us again after you've read it period, not decided not to read it because it's delightful. It was a delightful reread. I hadn't read the book in forever. Okay. So after you do like a little, you know, synopsis summary, I want to hear about your reading history with this book because I feel like you're attached to it. Is that your way of saying that I have maybe overemphasized how delightful it is? No, 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 no. I just want the history. Okay. So synopsis. Mm -hmm. This book is really hard for me to synopsize, synopsinate. I love it. Go with that one. How, sure. do you, how do you synopsinate a classic? How do you? That in some ways has been identified as the origin story mm-hmm. of science fiction yep. as a category. Yep. Maybe not this one, although this is the kind of lead-in one. But Jules Verne, the mm-hmm. author, is in some circles known as one of the godfathers of science fiction. The granddaddy of them all. Yes, mm-hmm. for good reason. Yep. So... Let me take you on a little journey (laughs) back to 1863, which is when this book is set, and I think close to when it was written. And uh, we're in Germany. Mm -hmm. Our name for our our intrepid explorer and our narrator narrator is Axel uh, Lindenborg. Do you know that I never even realized his name was Axel? Okay. Thank you. I kept thinking, what's this dude's name? Oh, because he was the narrator. Yeah. He didn't say his name yeah. that often. Well, I auto, my computer kept auto-correcting his name to Alex, and I was like, who's <laughs> Alex? <laughs> no, his name is Axel. Axel Lindenbrock. Uh, he's a young man uh-huh. in the uh, mid-1800s, and he's in Germany, uh-huh. and he lives with his uncle, uh-huh. who is Professor Otto Lindenbrock. And they're both, like, geologists, mineralogists, um, studiers of the earth. Uh-huh. And his uncle comes bolting in one day, and he's like, I found this hidden note leading to a, not to a treasure, but to a treasure for a geologist, Mm -hmm. finding the center of the earth, (laughs) which is not on fire, not a boiling pit of molten lava, like all the other geologists think. But my theories are correct, that it's just empty. Suckas. Yes. So we're going to go to Iceland. (laughs) We're going to find a guide. We're going to climb up that dormant volcano. We're going to scoot all the way in. We're going to find stuff. Sure. And then they do. 
There you go. That's my synopsis. <laughs> and I should start off by saying I have never watched any of the TV or movie adaptations. Okay. Oh, interesting. And I think there are lots of them. There must be. Like Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, was in one of them. And I only know that, that because awesome. as I was doing my research, his face kept cropping up. <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing in here, friend? And the answer was he was in a movie version of it. Uh, so the, the book is— He must have been Hans. Don't you think? I think he was like a bulk Dr. Otto. No. He I has know, to be. I haven't watched it. Hans, our fabulous guide who only speaks monosyllabically. So, okay. So uh, Professor Uncle and Axel get to Iceland and they're like, hey, we're in a country we don't know. We don't know how to get to the top of. We're in Reykjavik. We don't right. know where we're going. We should find a guide. And so they find Hans. And I read it. I did not listen to it. So maybe you know how to say his last name. Nope. B-J-E-L-K-E? Jelke? Sure. Anyways, I love that he's a duck hunter. Because <laughs> in my head, I just kept imagining the video game duck hunter <laughs> and the music that goes along with it. But he's just a duck hunter. Very simple. Well, he actually, hunter. it's interesting. He doesn't hunt the ducks. He hunts their down. Yes. He's an eider duck eider hunter. Duck hunter. Yes. yes. Which I like. I like the difference. Yes. Like, he's, he leaves the ducks. He does. He's no fool because he knows they're going to keep making more down. He does. That's true. I'm so sorry. It's like he's a pacifist among the duck hunting world. <laughs> he just wants to make more pillows. Right. He just wants more pillows. He wants more warm clothing. It's, well, it's cold up there in Reykjavik. Uh-huh. And um, so I like this. I thought this would be a fun one partly because I, I believe you and I have both been to Iceland. Well, so that's a sad story. We're recording this in January of 2024. Oh, no. And I was supposed to go to Iceland in a month. Okay, that's what I remembered incorrectly. And I was planning my trip until friends that we invited to go with us said, that sounds fabulous. Let's do it. Except, oh, wait. It's on fire. Did you know that they're blowing up and it's on fire? (laughs) Okay. So I was exceedingly interested in all of this volcanic business. Well, I misremembered that. <laughs> I thought you had already been, because I've been. And Lucky so, you. So I, I went when I was not on fire. Good. Uh, actively or imminently. Good choice. And so I was reading these descriptions about, very briefly, mm-hmm. they talked about Reykjavik, but about the mountains mm-hmm. and about the, the volcanoes. And I was like, I know those places. Yeah. Oh, I went to a geothermically heated hot spring. Oh, I've been there. The Blue Lagoon, fun. baby. I've been there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've been all those fun things. Um, I did not go inside of a volcano i don't think they i think they frown on that just generally speaking well if you're not a volcanologist unless you have hans with you well i did not have the eider down hunter with me there you have it i wish right bajelkin i don't know his last name (laughs) so part of what i really love about this book is i like the history behind it okay as well as liking the book it's not a very long book nope and i love that this book was written so long ago and it's still so fascinating. <laughs> For me, it was so fascinating that someone was like, you know what could be inside the earth? Dinosaurs. Right. Or cotton balls. I mean, it was like anything. <laughs> anything could be in there. Who knows? Because they don't know. It's right. 1860 when he wrote right. this book. And you know who still doesn't know what's in there? Most, Us. Most people. <laughs> right. Could it be a big burning ball of molten fire? Maybe. Who could, knows? Could it be cotton balls? Maybe. Right. Yes. We don't know. So what did you think? <laughs> How much did you like it on a scale of 9 to 11? It's a very specific scale. Is it 11? You can go with an average of 10 if you want. It's okay. I wanted, I expected so much to like this book. I could not, I could not, it was so 
dreadfully boring to me. Oh, no. There was nothing. <laughs> it was so, the word I kept thinking was tedious. Oh, that makes me sad for you. I well, loved yeah, it. Yeah, because of course it's a classic. So like, mm-hmm. what's wrong with me that I don't like this book? I mean, that's a whole different podcast. I know. It's a yeah. long one and we don't have that kind of time. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, I felt like there was a lot of teaching that was going on mm-hmm. about the different instruments Sciences, and yep, all that kind of stuff. And that was sort of charming mm-hmm. um, and boring. And mm. there were just whole chapters that I just, I was like, did, wait, what? <laughs> what? Did something actually happen here? Because there's a lot of descriptions yeah. about stuff I don't care about. Oh. And then nothing happened. And then there was some whining. And then uh-huh. there was some foot stomping. Yes. And then there was some monosyllabic uh-huh. grunting. And then there were more dinosaurs. And no. Oh, there was a mammoth. And then a giant person. And then there was a lot of weird stuff where I was like, you know, I'm willing to do the... Um, suspension of disbelief. Uh-huh. No. Okay, so I love it. Okay. And this is, I think, an incredibly good indicator of where our interests diverge. <laughs> so there was a chapter probably, I don't know, like maybe a third of the way into the book. So they've made it to Iceland. Mm-hmm. They've found Hans. They have climbed to the top of Snaefell. Sna- Snaffle. Not sure, right. S-N-A-E. It did remind me of Snapple. Like Snapple, the, yeah. yeah. The the dormant volcano. Sure. Snapple volcano. Um and they have gone inside. Mm-hmm. And I think it's before they have laid before them three choices. There's a fork in the road. Which tunnel do they go down? Sure. You don't know. Yep. They're about to pick one. But in this intermediary cavern, they're talking about how it's – it's um, so both um, Otto and Axel are like mineralogists and geologists. And so they're looking at all these things and they're like, oh, that's a, look at that thing over there. Oh, look at that thing over there. And they were talking about plants being part of the Carboniferous period. Mm-hmm. And I was like – I'm going to go see some rocks about the Carboniferous period <laughs> because I am planning to go to the Bay of Fundy this year, which is up in Nova Scotia. Yes. And um, it's an area that has both the highest and lowest tidal marks generally in North America. Mm-hmm. So when it's high, you can't really do anything. Mm-hmm. But when it's low, you can go explore these cave systems that are enveloped. Yep. And part of what they have near the Bay of Fundy is the Joggins Fossil Cliffs, which is a UNESCO heritage site. And I'm going to read it to you directly because I was so excited. And I quoted it from their UNESCO site. <laughs> I am not adding these exclamation marks. These are how this is pronounced in scientific data website. Okay. Walk the ocean floor where lush tropical forests cover the local landscape 315 million years ago. Joggins is the world's most complete coal age ecosystem and a place where you can see fossil trees along the cliffs. The Joggins Fossil Cliffs is also where the world's oldest reptile, Hylomonas, was discovered in 1859. Since 1828, over 200 fossil species have been found in these cliffs. New fossils are still being discovered today with erosion helped by the fundy tides. I am so excited. I'm have I have to breathe for a minute because I've been laughing silently for the entire description. So, so I think you can see why as I am rereading this, I'm like, oh yeah, I wish I was down in that cave too. Oh, I'd probably have gone right. Oh, okay, love and, it. And the the I'm like, see Carboniferous stuff. <laughs> the Debbie Downer me. Here's what I was doing. Oh, yeah. If he touched that, his hands would be bloody. There's no chance he could do that. Nope. And and then now they're throwing their only ro- ropes mm-hmm. down with them. They can never get back up. That's true. These people are stupid. Yeah. And then, you know, yep. this happened, and I was like, these people are morons. Oh, absolutely. So when I was writing my notes for this, I wrote them <laughs> as though, do you know those books you could read, the Choose Your Adventure books? Yes. So in my head, this is all a Choose Your Adventure sure. book. So um, 
they choose a new tunnel. Oh, no, they're out of water. But look, there's a subterranean river. Look at that. Oh, no, again, Axel gets lost. But then he figures out the acoustics of the tunnel mean he can hear Hans and Otto and rejoin them. What? A big old lake with dinosaurs. <laughs> it was just delightful. I loved everything about rereading this. So I, I am so happy. stunned because as I was listening to this, I was thinking to myself, this, there's nothing about this that would appeal to Jessica. It yep, is love it. all kinds of old-timey descriptions. Yeah. But it's old-timey descriptions about nature stuff. And I love nature stuff. Wow. I just did not see mm-hmm. that coming. I love it. And I love that as you get towards the end of the book and they're delving deeper into this cave system, they're like, oh, hey, like there's an electrical storm. That's weird. <laughs> oh, no, wait. Our raft is knocked back. Let's go explore. What? Is that a 12-foot-tall person there herding mammoths? Uh-oh. They might get us. We should run. <laughs> And what about the wackadoodle, um, crocodile, I don't whatever? Plesiosaur. Sorry. And the ichthyosaurus, which are not dinosaurs, oh my by God. the way. Okay. <laughs> this is a whole different jag. Because... I'm going to just tune out for a few minutes. Okay. You, are you, you go talking, ahead. Are you talking to yourself or are you no, talking, talking to listeners? I'm talking to the one listener. Amy, I'm just going to stop listening. You can stop listening, too. Let her talk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's fine. I'm still going to talk about it. I, I know. I don't, everyone is going to love this because... Everyone thinks that all the animals from, air quote, dinosaur times are dinosaurs. They're not, right? So I didn't know this. Please tell me more. Okay. Now you're just being mean. I can see your eyeballs not blinking at me. (laughs) So bad. But I'm going to keep going anyways because if anyone learns from this, it will make it worthwhile. So, um, you know, like the big old winged ones. Pterodactyls? Those are not dinosaurs. Those are pterodons. They're not dinosaurs. And ichthyosaurs and plesiosaurs are not dinosaurs either. They're extinct marine reptiles. Then why do they have dinosauric names? Because when the people named them, they didn't know any better. But now they know better. So it was the dumb people. It was the dumb people. Okay. And now you are educated and you're welcome. Let me tell you a little bit about Jules Verne. Please do. Because he was a fascinating guy. Fascinating guy. (laughs) And he had wild mutton chops. So Well, right there. Right. right? Absolutely. So I liked, I think this was our first French author. Peut-être. Uh, are, you, are you speaking French to me? Did you see how I just pulled out the French and said maybe? Oh, I didn't because I don't speak French. <laughs> but I appreciate that. Um, so he was born in like the early 18, 1820 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he has, as you'd anticipate, since passed. Yes. He did not live forever. He did not journey to the <laughs> center of the earth. He kind of deserves it. If anybody oh, does, he would be the guy that would deserve it. Yeah. But he passed away in 1905. And I just really like his origin story. For me, it's like a weird superhero story in the background of all of this. So, you know, he grew up in rural France, mm-hmm. and his dad was an attorney. And he was like, you know what, son? You're going to be an attorney, too. I'm sending you to law school. Mm-hmm. Go to Paris. Learn law. And Jules gets there, and he's like, you know what I like? The theater. Uh-oh. I'm going to go to the library and learn stuff. I want to learn literature. <laughs> so while he's going through law school on the side, like secretly, he's like writing plays mm-hmm. and he's working at a literary theater and like. For no pay. For no pay. Labor love. Yeah, he's just going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. He wanted to marry his cousin, mm-hmm. which was okay at that point in time, I guess. <laughs> uh, and then his family found out and they married her off to someone else. So then he turned all of that <laughs> angst into poetry and songs. So he, he wrote all these things. He was just having a, a fascinating time. He finished his law degree, uh-huh. did that for a little bit, hated it. Um, ended up working as a broker for a while while he was on the side doing serialized novels uh-huh. that he called um, Voyages Extraordinary, which I'm sure is French that I just butchered, but no, it's Extraordinary Voyages. I think you're fluent now. Oh my God. Lifelong dream accomplished. Thank you. <laughs> um, 
And he he started off with these novel like Charles Dickens, right? Mm-hmm. Like yep. these serialized novels, and they were all about these extraordinary voyages. And his goal was to merge his love of science mm-hmm. with his love of fiction writing. Science he did it. plus fiction. Wait, wait, wait. Hmm. Follow the breadcrumbs. I get it. I knew you'd get it. I knew you'd do it. All it all makes sense. I know. And he um he wrote so much. He was mm-hmm. prolific. Yeah. So he wrote for 40 years until he died. They found more stuff after he died. And then his son edited them and pushed them out. Only then they found out afterwards that he didn't just edit. He rewrote, like, all of it. <laughs> and so now people who are, like, diligent Vernites, I don't know sure. if that's the right name for it, they're like, well, that's not canon because it's not what he originally wrote. His son edited it too much. He added subplots and characters and he mushed things together. And so you've got these two factions that are fighting it out. The blasphemy. Right? And um, he's got like different – like an artist. He mm-hmm. has different epics yep. of his writing. So like the first tranche of <laughs> – yeah, finance words. You're welcome. The first tranche of things that he put out were in his like his positive phase. So he mm-hmm. had just been married. He had had kids. They were living in rural France. And that's when he wrote Journey to the Center of the Earth. He wrote Around the World in 80 Days. Mm-hmm. He wrote Earth to the Moon. So all the things that had kind of a more positive mm-hmm. like life's great. Right. Let's do this thing. Right. Discovery yes. and interest. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. So he did all that non-dystopian air quote things when like his life was good. Yeah. And then Comes his more pessimistic phase. Right, right. So I haven't read as many of these ones because the first ones I've read all those. Okay. But then he wrote he wrote books called like The Purchase of the North Pole. Uh-oh. I feel like I need to read that one now mm-hmm. just based on the title. Topsy-turvy. <laughs> I like that just the title. The Floating Island. I don't know when any of those are yet. Mm-hmm. But he wrote those ones. So his original books were all about like the power of science. Mm-hmm. Like – even in the 1860s and 1870s and 1880s, they thought they were making these just astonishing leaps and bounds in science. Right. And he was taking the scientific progress and turning it into volumes for the masses to read mm-hmm. so that you could see how science could influence the life to come for you. And then things got a little iffier in his personal life. <laughs> so he, you know, his son got older and their relationship tanked. His nephew uh, shot him, shot him in the leg. Yeah. Uh, and then he was crippled. Um, he, my favorite, I shouldn't say this is my favorite, but it was, um, he had to sell several of his beloved yachts. Oh, that's a shame. To fund things because apparently he really liked yachting. Sure. Um, which he learned in New York. He came out to visit and he was like, oh, I like those yachts. I'm going to get one of those for me or maybe several. Or five. So he had to sell all his yachts mm-hmm. and it was just distressing to him. Hmm. And so then he turned to these, these stories where less pro-science. He was, he was focused more on, um. The dangers hmm. of science and technology, mm-hmm. of how progress can create hurdles for humanity mm-hmm. in the same way that his earlier books had focused on how science can build ramps yep. for us to find new knowledge. I thought that was just – what an interesting life cycle. Yeah. And even after he died, you know, his son took these manuscripts and did them. And he had talked about how he wanted to make scientific fiction, which then got turned into science fiction. And he, along with like – I don't know. George Orwell and a couple other folks are the founders of Mm -hmm. science fiction. Like he had the first U.S. nuclear powered submarine was named after the Nautilus, which was his his ship in 80,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And people have just used his work as a launch pad for thinking about what else might be out there, even though it is incredibly silly to think that there are dinosaurs and not dinosaurs and mammoths and giant people and weird rock formations 
and electrical storms happening inside the center of the earth. I'm giving you the side eye because you don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Because I haven't been there. Right. But one of the favorite quotes I have of his is, what one man can imagine, another will someday be able to achieve. Mm -hmm. And that is so much about what science fiction is. It's just, it's fascinating to see where someone's mind can go. Yeah. I don't know. I just really liked it. So I liked all of that aspect. First of all, I love your enthusiasm. It is infectious. You're welcome. Truly. Would you like to, me to talk about fossil cliffs some more? Another time. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to spend it all right now because I, I, I would be overwhelmed. I would be overwhelmed. Okay. With joy. Um, <laughs> I love all of the... He was obviously a brilliant man. I love the idea of, of sparking interest yeah. for people and also letting them know that kind of the scientific method and mm-hmm. what's important about science and all that kind of stuff, the practical applications of science. Yeah. Um, because I think that that, I think we're bombarded with that kind of information every day now. Yeah. And if you try to kind of go back to the time when he was writing mm-hmm. this, um, most people didn't ever think about science. No. They were not aware the of way. nature, yeah. but not in the sense of scientific experiments and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it. It's just too dry for you. It was it was a little confusing also because I wasn't sure. I thought it was adult fiction, but it felt like juvie fiction to me. Oh, interesting. So because it's Yeah, yeah, I see it's that. It's very simplistic. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think that's the serialization. Like okay. it was meant uh, that to be makes sense. chunk, yeah, yeah, yeah. chunk, chunk. Yep. And yeah. I didn't think about that when I was listening. So that's a good point. Yeah. And the the chapters are very um Cut and dry. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense with the Contained. serialization, too. Yeah. That, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Um, I can see that, though. I can see this could – this is often assigned as, like, a school text. Sure. Because you're learning about lots of different things from it, about writers from cultures outside of America, mm-hmm. from writers from a different era. Um, if if you're using this as an introductory text in science fiction, uh, this is, I'm sure, a very good book. I read this for the first time maybe – Maybe seventh grade. Seventh okay, grade, grade. so I was yeah. interested in in how old you were when you first read it because yeah, I think that that would be a a big deal too. Like yeah. part of the nostalgia of having oh, yeah. read something and felt like it, you connected with it. Yeah, yeah, it's in the same bucket of like the line, the witch in the wardrobe, yeah. the Phantom Tollbooth. Right. Um, Harry Potter Madeline, was Harry Potter was later for me. Wrinkle time. Oh, Wrinkle time was so good. Yes. Yeah. Mm, all those ones. Yeah. You know the ones that. You kind of hold tighter to? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah. And I think the fact that I read it, you know, at the ripe old age of 25 Mm. for the first time last week, um, you know, as an adult, it's just different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I was fascinated to learn that he is, he has been translated into more languages than Mm. any French writer. Sounds about right. And he is – he. they were comparing him to Agatha Christie as the um, writer who's been – I think she's been translated into more languages. She's, oh, okay. He's second sure. only to Agatha Christie okay. um, for translations. I believe that because he has so many books that have been turned into TV mm-hmm. and movie series, mm-hmm. TV series and movies yeah. in so many different formats over the years yeah. that I'm not surprised they continue to translate and translate it into additional languages to read as the – uh, the visual production aspect right. continues on. So I guess our homework for next time is to find a version of this to watch and see how true to the story it is. Well, I'm game if you are. I'm ready. <laughs> oh, wait, are we both going to watch the Dwayne Johnson version? I mean, isn't that the only version to watch? I mean, 
We're going to start if there. If we have the option. We're going to start there. Yeah, because yeah. I need to know if he's Hans. I, think, I feel like I, he has to be. I think he's Professor Otto. I'm oh, ready. Okay. Well. I'm ready for this argument. Somebody's <laughs> going to be mad at us at the end of this. So tell me, what are we reading next time for your pick? We are going way in the opposite direction. Uh, we are going into the moon. No. Okay. That's We're different. staying on the surface of the Earth. Okay. I can also see how that's opposite. Yes. Um, but it's very realistic. It, mm. uh, I'm, we read a Chris Bajalian book um, early on. In Which one? Before You Know Kindness. And Ted was the guest um, podcaster. I was ah. out that month. And Ted okay. and you discussed it, and I was sad to have missed it. Okay. So, because I missed the first one, I'm going to do have us read another Chris Bojallian book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called Midwives. Midwives. <laughs> or Midwives. <laughs> depending. Maybe you need to listen to this one. <laughs> Although, I'm... Can I just watch the TV series called The Midwives? No. Okay. Well. No, because that's not it. Because <laughs> I've already watched that one, so I feel like I'm well prepared for this book. <laughs> no, this is um, – I can't even listen to it because I don't think we – I don't think FCPL has a copy, an <gasps> you audio copy. You read it? I do. Okay. Then you must really like this Old book. Old-fashioned. Okay. It gripped me so much the first time I read it. Mm-hmm. I was at the beach. I did not talk to any of my family members <laughs> who were also at the beach with me. Uh-huh. I was just up in my room reading. Uh-huh. And then when I was Sounds finished. Like a perfect beach week. Yeah. I handed it to my sister who had three very young children at the time. Mm-hmm. And I said, you must read this book. And I left. And she called me and said, I did not see my children for hours at a time because I was so <laughs> gripped by this book. So I'll be interested to see okay. if it grips you the way that it did my sister and me. Okay. And it is Midwives by Chris Bajalian. So thank you for joining us on You're Making Me Read What? Even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget, you can always grab these books and lots more at your local library. So join us next month when we will be discussing Midwives by Chris Bajalian. Thank you, and keep on reading. <laughs>